Now, this week, today, we're starting a new series. Starting a new series called Seriously, Jesus? Seriously? We want to examine some of those hard things, some of those difficult sayings, some of those challenges that Jesus uh, uh, puts on us, and we're like, seriously? Really? Jesus, do, do you really know what you're talking about? We want to examine those things that may be hard for us to chew when we just look at them on the surface, but we really want to dig deeper and see what Jesus is really trying to communicate to us through these teachings uh, in this series. So uh, we want to get into those things and dig deeper, but before we do that, let us go to the throne uh, in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to share your word, to dig deeper into your thoughts, to see what you have in store for us, and our relationship with you, would you enlighten us with your truth? Would you expand our minds to look beyond the surface and to meet you in the depths of Scripture? Would you empower us with knowledge and wisdom and the ability to carry your word and even struggle with your word? And Holy Spirit, would you Meet us in that place of struggle, that we could be better for these things, that we could be the better Christians, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, men and women that you're calling us to be in this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You are what you eat. Have you heard this phrase before? You are what you eat is an interesting phrase. It was first communicated or recorded back in 1826 by a French author whose name I'm about to butcher. So anybody who's French, have mercy on me. His name was Anthelm Brillant Savarin, something like that. And what he wrote was, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are. Interesting quote. How many foodies do we have in the audience today? Foodies, anybody love food? All right, join me in this, 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 this wonderful lifestyle of food, I tell you. I love food. I love to eat. Now, what's your favorite food? Anybody have a favorite food? Oh, my gosh. Come on now. Crab cake. Oh, pizza. Okay. Good. These are some interesting choices. Food is wonderful. And it's great to indulge every now and then. But let me tell you about, I'll tell you my, my favorite food right now is crab, Maryland crab cakes. Thank you <laughs> for the crab cakes. So, but let me, let me back up for a moment, back way back, back to the 90s. We talk about the 90s, right? Let me talk about my teenage years. Back in my teenage years, right? I love this one food. It was so delicious, so warming to my soul. Listen, my family is from South Carolina, so we know how to eat. <laughs> we know how to get down. And my uncle used to make this one dish called barbecued pig feet. Lord, have mercy. Y'all are looking like, oh, what in the world? With, some, with a side of collard greens and some cornbread, and you all right. You're going to sleep after that meal. But listen... <laughs> I used to love the fattiness, the saltiness, the savoriness. It was so awesome, but it wasn't good for me. 
<laughs> See, everything that tastes good is not always good for you. And so oftentimes we need to change our diet. Sometimes we need to change what we eat because if we take care of our bodies, our bodies will take care of us in the long run. Now, this is not a sermon about uh, health and wealth and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not up here preaching uh, that, but I am going to talk about some stories that involve Jesus and food. We're going to be looking at John chapter number six. John 6. So if you have your Bibles, won't you open them up or turn them on? Uh, we're going to look at the entire chapter of John chapter 6. But in that chapter, I'm going to summarize the first two stories, and then we'll dig deeper into what he has to say at the end of this chapter. So John chapter 6 is a chapter about Jesus and this food that he chooses to serve. And he wants all of us to understand the symbolism, this, what is symbolic about this food that he chooses. So first, we read the story of his encounter with this deep group of Jewish followers, right? They, they, it, it, the Bible tells us there were 5,000 of them, right? 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. So some scholars, some, some commentaries tell us that uh, there were at least 10 to 15,000 people at this meal, Right? They're all following Jesus because of all the miracles that he's performing. Right? Jesus is performing all kinds of miracles at this point in time. If we go back in the book of John, we see that he shows up to a marriage feast, and they say, oh, we ran out of wine, and his, his mama said, Jesus, do your thing. And Jesus is like, no, I don't really want to do that. But eventually, he brings the best wine that is poured out uh, uh, at the end of the meal. Keep that in mind for the end of this message. So he, pull, he brings the best wine to the table. He's healing people. He's now feeding thousands upon thousands of people. Over 5,000 we know. What does he do? He finds a young person there with a, a school box lunch. And the, in that school box lunch is two fish and five barley loaves. Barley loaves are like little pancakes. And so he's going to feed thousands of people with this little lunch. So what does he do? He says, let us pray. Everybody closes their eyes, they go to pray, and then all of a sudden when they open their eyes, Panera Bread is sitting there on the beach. Everybody gets focaccia today. So he's feeding these people with this small meal. The people are actually following him because of his miracles, because of the feeding, because of the people getting healed, because they see in this man an incredible handout program. They see the end of world hunger. They see so much benefit that they now want to try and take him by force to be a king. I'd vote for him if I was seeing somebody do all that kind of stuff. They try to force him into the White House because they see that he's the human version of DoorDash with the coupon code. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't want to be that kind of king. He doesn't want to be forced into a situation like that. He doesn't want to be the Burger King. He wants to be the king of kings, right? And so he slips away in the crowd. They can't find him. So much so that his uh, disciples now Right? His 12, his closest followers are looking for him. They can't find him. They're like, look, we got families. We got to get back home. And so they jump in their boat and row, row, row their boat gently across the Galilean Sea. And as they go across the sea, they run into some bad weather. This bad weather, you probably heard the story. The boat is tossing. And then they see this shadowy figure approaching the boat. 
and it's Jesus. They go crazy for a minute, like, oh, that's a ghost. But when they receive Jesus to the boat, they automatically are on the other side of the sea, miraculously. Now, the 5,000 plus that he fed earlier, they've made their way to the other side of the sea as well. And they say, we know that Jesus did not get on that boat. How in the world did he miraculously show up on the other side? Jesus uses that platform to then tell them some good truths about why he fed them the night before. So this is how we set this up. He talks about being uh, uh, the bread of life. He talks about, the, uh, uh, he gives them some truth that they weren't really ready for. He tells them that on, the only reason that you all have been following me is because I've been feeding you, because I've been giving you bread. The only reason you're following me is because of the miracles. How many of you have friends like that? Air quotes for the recording. Right? Friends who are going to follow you because you have some money in the bank. Friends who will follow you because you, you, you have some prestige. Maybe you have a title on your job. Maybe you have a good car. Maybe you got a house. Maybe you got the big screen TV over top of your fireplace in your basement and everybody can come over and watch the game. But what happens when all that stuff is gone? Jesus is saying, you're following me for the wrong reasons. You follow me for the stuff and not for who I am. Jesus says in verse number 41, here we go. We're start, we starting, starting to roll with it now. Verse 41, he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 48, he says, for, uh, I am the bread of life. The people go on to say, yeah, okay, Jesus. We, we, we will go with all of these weird teachings that you're doing uh, as long as you keep feeding us. As long as you keep giving us what we want, Jesus, we will do whatever you say. How many of us have that type of relationship with Jesus? Jesus, I'll keep coming to church. Jesus, I will read my Bible more. Jesus, I'll serve my neighbor. I'll, I'll help. I'll keep volunteering in the church as long as you do for me. But what happens when I'm not getting what I want out of my marriage? What happens when I'm putting all of this time into my job and I don't get promoted? What happens when the money gets funny and it doesn't come like I want it to come? What happens when things don't go my way? Is Jesus still king on the throne? Or does he become my side piece? Jesus, I'll follow you. As long as you're doing for me. Jesus is not interested in being I dream of genie. He's not interested in Jesus. I put a dollar in the offering plate. Now where's my blessing? He's not a vending machine. He wants our attention to be on him. And he's telling these people that they're missing the point. That he is the bread of life. That the reason that he fed them was to show them that he is the one that will sustain them eternally. He's trying to get them to understand that food will only last you for a little while. But I am the eternal food. Now, here's the kicker. Here's where it gets interesting. This is the reason for the series called Seriously Jesus. The reason I came up with this series is because I read this next verse. So I would love for you to read it with me. Here it goes. Verse 53. 
So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Seriously? The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread. That came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. This freaked them people out. I'm trying to tell you right now. They freaked them out. Anybody who reads this on the surface, you're ready to leave right now. You're like, I don't know. I don't want none of this part of this Jesus stuff. Right? Jesus trying to turn us into cannibals. Right? Jesus trying to turn us into vampires. This night of the living dead. This is some zombie movie. Zombie apocalypse is on the way. Jesus, what are you talking about? Verse number 60 says, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus was using this rich metaphor to emphasize believing in him, the belief in him, the following of him, the acceptance of him, the consuming of him was the key to eternal life. Bread can only sustain your life for a number of years, but the living bread, the bread of life will sustain us forever. The way that we desire bread for our daily sustenance is the way that we should be desiring Jesus that's what he's trying to communicate. And this is a metaphor. He's not communicating literally here. He's not inviting us to come and take a bite of his left elbow. He's not inviting us to come and nibble on his pinky toe. No. He is inviting us to consume him. Watch this. He says, eat my flesh. The word eat means to consume or to ingest. Context matters. You see, preachers can make the Bible say anything they want it to say if they pull one verse out and make you dance and hoop and holler. And don't miss the offering basket on your way. <laughs> he says to eat my flesh, to consume, to ingest. Context is important because if we go back just a couple of chapters, go back to John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. The word was with God. And that word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 1 through 3 says, Consume this word, son of man. Ingest and eat this scroll. It will be honey to your stomach. He's talking about the word here. He says, if we eat his flesh... The word, if we desire his words, we desire everything that he is, we will have eternal life. Here's some further evidence. The next word he says is drink. I'm not going to leave it at the eat. Drink my blood. 
He is not inviting us to get an IV in a straw. He's not. He says drink. Now, the word drink, you can look it up in any Bible dictionary that you choose. It says when used figuratively, the word drink means to uh, uh, consume or to ingest into one's consciousness. The blood of Jesus is essential to our eternal life. The blood of Jesus is essential to our eternal security. But it's when we understand, when we get it into our consciousness, when we consume this understanding, we have life eternal. Jesus is really saying, what would I get out of this? Yes, he's, he's describing the way that we can have eternal life is by consuming him, by, uh, uh, by really receiving his blood. But what I really get out of this is him saying, when I say hard things, when I say things that are difficult to understand, when I say things that rub you the wrong way, when I say things that go against what you think and what you feel, will you still trust me? When society paints me as antiquated, when society paints me as culturally irrelevant, no longer valuable, will you still trust me? It's a trust game. Verse number 66 says, For from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the 12, his closest, you don't want to go away too, do you? He gave an open door. If you want to leave, <laughs> here's your opportunity. It, 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 it strikes me as being a quite interesting that a preacher would let people walk out the door. I'm trying to grow this thing, man. I'm not trying to go down to 12. But Jesus says, you want to go? Here's the deuces. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered. He spoke up for the crew. He said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Who are you in this story? Are you a part of the crowd? That when Jesus says something hard to in your life, he communicates something that's, that's hard, for, that you're wrestling with, something that you, you don't quite get with, that it doesn't fit with my, my view of society today. When he says those things to you about you and your life, do you walk away? Do you turn your back on Jesus? Do you read those passages of Scripture quick? Do you just avoid that part of the Bible? Are you one of the 12 who stick with him through thick and thin? Are you like Peter, who says, Lord, where else would I go? I've tried everything else. I've tried the other faiths. I've tried uh, uh, working overtime. I've tried to fill this empty pit in my life with money. I've tried to fill it with relationships. I've tried the drugs. I've tried the alcohol. I've tried everything else in this life, and I'm still empty. God, you are the only one who can fill my soul. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can have life. 
and have it more abundantly. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're, you're listening to this. You're newer to Jesus or you're newer to church. Maybe somebody dragged you here kicking and screaming. You don't even want to be here. I'm glad you're here today. But maybe you're hearing this and you're like, that's why I don't want to follow Jesus because he's saying that nasty stuff. I'd like to invite you to understand Jesus in his fullness. You see, he's not looking to run you away. He's looking to invite you into the depth of him. Are you willing to dig deeper to find what he's really talking about? Or will you take his words on surface level and dismiss him? He's inviting us deeper. Or maybe you're here today and you've been filling yourselves. Maybe you know Jesus, you've been, but you've been filling yourselves with all kinds of things trying to find fulfillment. Maybe you've been filling yourself with social media and Facebook, fake news. Maybe you've been f- filling yourself with talk radio and, and, and all kinds of stuff on the Internet. Maybe you've been filling yourself with what your friends say and how your friends believe. Maybe you've been filling yourself with what I used to do is every other religion trying to find out what is truth. Did my parents really know what they were talking about? Or is Islam a better way? Is Buddhism a better way? Is the Hebrew Israelites, is that a better way? No. There's only one who has satisfied my soul, and that is personal experience. I don't know what your story is, but I'll invite you today to try this Jesus. Above everything else, above your politics, above your friends, above everyone, is he king? And can you trust him? You can only fill yourself with Jesus. Listen, Jesus used this metaphor to prepare those who are following him for his ultimate sacrifice. You see, we have the benefit of the full picture. We have the benefit to know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We have the benefit of preachers and and teachers teaching us this, maybe some of us for our entire lives. They did not have that yet. Jesus uses this metaphor to let them know and to predict that he would willingly give his flesh and his blood on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins. That he would take the nails in each of his hands. That he would take the nails in his feet. That he would take the spear in the side. That he would bleed to death. He would suffocate on that cross. He would suffer for what we should have suffered for. He provides this illustration to let us know that he is the sacrificial lamb that Moses prepared us for in Exodus chapter 12. That without bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin. Communion is that symbolic Uh, activity, ritual that we partake in, to remember Jesus, to remember what he has done for us, for what he is currently doing for us and what he will do for us. Communion is a time for us to reflect, not just on Jesus, but to reflect on ourselves. God, where have you brought me from? God, what did I do 
last night that I need this bread and this blood afresh today? What did I do this morning, God, that I need your forgiveness? It's a time for us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says that for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It's through his sacrifice that Jesus made room at the cross for you and for me. He made room at the table for you and for me. Worship team, would you come? Communion servers, would you come? Jesus made room at the table for you and for me to be unified. One, unified with him. But two, unified with each other. Because it's at the foot of the cross that you and I are made equal. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one in this room who has been perfected. We are being perfected every day. Jesus, his work on the cross is what's making that possible. So today we will have a communion meal together. And if you choose to participate in this communion meal, what I want you to do is to remember what God has done for you. Think about you. I, I, I don't often make things so individualized, but I want you to rem reminisce on your own life. And think about what Jesus pulled you out of or what he's saving you from right now. On the night before he willingly gave his life, he had a last meal with some of his closest friends, his disciples. And at that meal, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you stand to your feet? As we partake in communion, if you so choose to, I want to let you know that God loves you. That he gave up his all to be in relationship with you. At the front of the stage and at the rear of the room, we have communion stations. And what you can do is after I finish praying, you can go to either of these four stations. Grab a cup with the bread and the wine in it. On the top layer is the bread. Underneath is the juice. You can take that and consume right at the station and drop your trash in the trash can. Or you can take it back to your seat and have a moment with Jesus and consume right there with your family, whatever you choose. So let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the love you share with us, for the bread and the wine, for your body and your blood, for this symbolic activity that shows us how much you love us. We thank you for meeting us here even today. We thank you that your blood still works. That it's not just an activity of 2,000 years ago, but it will last 2,000 years from now. Thank you for your sacrifice. For my behalf. For everyone's behalf. Meet us at this place today.
as we consume this bread and this juice. In Jesus' name we pray.